What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're looking at in time in Greenland and deciding what's really valuable. In time is set in a future where people can stay young forever and therefore can technically live forever. The new currency then is time. And just like money in our world now, time is earned, spent, saved, stolen, hoarded, and controlled by the powers that be. The time a person has is displayed on a digital readout in their wrist, and time can be spent or collected by touching the wrist readout to the applicable scanner or to someone else's wrist. If the digital readout goes to zero, the person instantly dies. The poor, of course, don't have as much time as the rich. And society is split into two starkly separate categories, those who literally have all the time in the world, and those whose time bank accounts are always very close to zero. The rich tend to stroll everywhere and take their time. The poor don't have time for that. The rich don't even look at their wrist displays or carry all of their saved-up time around with them. The poor are constantly watching the clock and they've really learned how to stretch a minute, so to speak. We meet Will and his mother Rachel, people who do not live on the rich side of town. It's her birthday, and after her work shift, after she makes a payment on a time loan she's taken out, they're planning to celebrate together. While Rachel's at work, Will meets a rich man who for whatever reason doesn't want to live anymore. He gives his time to Will, who immediately buys his mom flowers and stands waiting for her at the bus she usually takes home from work. Rachel, though, made her loan payment before learning that the bus fare's gone up. She doesn't have enough time to both pay the fare and then sit through the ride. She knows Will has time to give her if she can get home before her time bank runs out, but since she can't afford the bus, she has to run. So she runs. When she doesn't get off the bus, Will knows something's wrong, but he sees her then, sprinting down the streets toward him, and he knows she wouldn't be sprinting unless she was super low on time. He drops the flowers and starts running toward her, but we see her wrist read out. She only has a few seconds. They have to run fast enough to reach each other before those seconds run out. All he has to do is touch her wrist. All he has to do is touch her wrist but they have to reach each other first. This is the beginning of the movie, so he doesn't quite reach her in time. She dies in his arms, and the rest of the movie is him making the rich pay for his loss. The notion of time being the new currency isn't a difficult concept to get your head around. 
we can see pretty easily the parallels between folded money and a digital time bank account. We can even see how it's not really a parallel at all. Time already is money in our current society, especially for the non-rich. And in both real life and the movie, the poor spend time making money slash time for the non-poor, who end up keeping the bulk of it all. There are lots of layers, frankly, in In Time that would be worth exploring. Social commentary, political and economic commentary, the ramifications of having a functionally immortal society. But what we're going to look at today is the fact that Rachel's running. She has to. She has to run as fast as she possibly can because she doesn't have the time not to. She's watching her life actually dribble away. As her feet are pounding on the pavement and her breathing is ragged, she's not running to get in shape or to commune with nature. She's running for her life. Do the rich people in the in-time movie world even know what it means to run for your life? Do the rich people in our actual world know what it means? But then again, do any of us? In the metaphor of time being money, we could argue that the poorer people are, the more their lives are on a knife's edge. The consequence of missing a work shift could be going without food. Keeping the wolves from the door can be a genuine struggle, even for those who make what they consider to be decent money. I suppose if you look at it like that, that a lot of us feel like we're running for our lives, because we're basically fleeing economic disaster every day. But how often do we have to physically sprint, gasping for breath, our feet pounding on the pavement, because death is right behind us, and if we slow down, we'll die, actually die. Rachel runs almost as fast as the bus could have driven her. She was right behind it, three minutes behind it. She lives in a world where there isn't any time to not be in shape, to not be able to run as fast as a bus. Her life isn't filled with moonlight strolls through parks. It's filled with moving as efficiently as possible every moment of the day, because it could actually be the difference between life and death. Rachel runs almost as fast as the bus, and even though she's too late, her last seconds on the earth are spent trying to connect with her son, looking in his eyes, knowing that he loved her, knowing he was running toward her as fast as she was running toward him. She runs because she wants to live, and she's running home because her son is there. Her life is there. So let's look at Greenland for a minute. The main characters in Greenland, John and Allison Garrity, are a middle-class couple who seem to be going through a bit of a rough patch. But even though they're possibly on the verge of divorce, they do still prioritize co-parenting their son Nathan who has a chronic illness that in our normal world is fairly manageable. But Greenland is a disaster fountain, so suddenly there's a disaster. Incoming space debris will lay waste to the planet, and the only hope for the Garrities is to get to the airport, to the transport, to the bunker. They're told that everyone can bring a single bag, so they each pack a bag and put Nathan's medicine in his bag. But when they get to the airport, the guy tells them they can only have a single bag for their whole family. Okay, then, no problem. Allison starts putting all the stuff from their three bags into the one bag. And that's when they realize that Nathan's medicine has fallen out somewhere. 
John runs back to their car to find the medicine, but there's all this chaos at the airport. Of course, because looming disaster. And when John gets back, he can't find Allison and Nathan. And then there's all this chaos outside the airport, because disaster. And Allison gets separated from Nathan. John ends up on an airplane with just the little bag of his son's medicine, and neither Allison nor Nathan has any of the things they brought with them. Unless it was in their pockets, everything the three of them brought from home is now gone. But all that matters to them is to find each other again. And when they do find each other again, even though they still have to get to the bunker to survive the disaster, they're just really happy to be together. And no one even thinks about the bags. Why are we comparing these two films? What do they have in common? The characters face the choice of having things or having their loved ones, and it's a no-brainer for all of them. Will drops his flowers, the symbol of his newfound time wealth, so he can sprint toward his mom. The Garrities only care about getting their son his medicine. None of their belongings really matter to them as much as being able to connect with their family. But as meaningful as this message is, and as easy as it is for the audience to take that message to heart, at the end of the day, no matter how much credit card debt we might plunge ourselves into, we already know that the stuff we buy isn't as important as the people in our lives. The more significant comparison is that the characters in these two films are all running for their lives, and they're running toward each other because that's what life is to them. That's where their life is, with these people they love. Both Will and the Garrities start out with items that seem like the sort of thing you're supposed to have or buy. Will buys a pretty expensive bouquet of flowers because that's what you do. You get flowers for your loved ones on their birthday. The Garrities pack clothes in their bags, but of course they do. What else would go in suitcases? But really, the Garrities only needed Nathan's medicine. And all the clothes they packed just made it easier to lose track of the medicine. And even though for Will it's a much more literal situation, both he and the Garrities learned that what they really would rather have packed was more time. More time together, more time on someone's wrist tracker, more time to enjoy a life that can end at any moment. Like I said, in Time's metaphor about time and money isn't the most complicated, and every disaster film is pointing out that money won't help you when the asteroid hits. It's not that the audience can't understand the messages about love and about what's truly important. It's not that the audience doesn't see what the characters are being asked to learn. It's that we don't always take the time to ask ourselves the questions the characters face. We might know with total certainty what the characters should do, but we don't always remember to apply that knowledge to our own lives. Will and Rachel and the Garrities all have to decide, super quickly, what to do with their wealth and their time and their lives. They don't have the luxury of seeing it as a metaphor or a goal. If they want to live, they need to run. Especially for Will and Rachel, their priorities need to be crystal clear because they will not have time to debate different courses of action. Most of us in the audience don't know what it's like to run for our actual lives. We don't know how it feels to be seconds from death. Missing a bus in the real world is not a high-stakes situation, 
and getting to the airport on time isn't usually fraught with so much peril. The circumstances of in time in Greenland are extreme, but it's through these extremes that any ambiguity is erased. There aren't any nuances of meaning here, like there are in our complicated day-to-day -day lives. There aren't any gray areas or places for compromise or exception. And once we can see a message without ambiguity, it's a lot simpler to apply that wisdom to our real lives and assess how closely our personal decisions align with what we believe the characters should do. And what exactly is this message? In both films, the bulk of the message is pretty obvious. Focus on what's important instead of buying a lot of stuff. Focus on your loved ones instead of on anything else. But there's more to the message than this. We don't live in a world where a timer can kill us if we spend too much on bus fare. We don't, yet, live in a world where we have to fly to a bunker in Greenland to avoid death by meteor. We live in a world with ambiguity and compromise and habits, where we might take our safety and stability for granted. But what if we didn't? These two movies are inviting us to ask ourselves a few things. Like... What's in our bag? If we were asked to pack a bag and everything we left behind would be destroyed, what would we bring? Would we focus on sensible practicality and shove our bag full of clothes or weapons or items to trade in a post-apocalypse? Or would we shove it full of photos and our favorite stuffed animal and our blood pressure medication? Would we bring the book our father read to us every night when we were kids? and the little misshapen clay pot our child made for us in school. Would we pack as though it were just another trip out of town? Or would we realize that we're also packing up our memories, all the things we won't want to forget, the things that tell us the story of who we've been? How are we spending our time? Our reality doesn't allow us to earn more time and maybe live forever. We don't have a digital readout telling us the parameters of our existence here. Our countdowns are invisible and unpredictable, and our mortal lives are only about 4,000 weeks long. How are we allocating this finite time we've been given? Are our priorities crystal clear? Or are we throwing time around as though we'll never run out of it? Do we know who we'd be running with? if we needed to get to the disaster-proof bunker? Do we know who we'd be running toward if we only had another moment to see them or tell them whatever it is we wanted to tell them? Are those people part of our crystal-clear priorities? Or do we sometimes forget to make them a part of our regular day? If our predictable lives with their familiar dramas were suddenly thrown into chaos and nothing was safe or stable anymore, would we know how to regroup and pivot? To put it another way, how fast can we run? We live out our priorities every day with every choice we make about who we're with, how we care for ourselves and others, how we follow our goals and dreams, and how we spend our money and our minutes and our years and our joy. In Time and Greenland are encouraging us to revisit those priorities, to figure out what we want to do with our time, 
who we want to be with, and what really, really matters to us. We need to figure that out now in our regular world, so that if things suddenly become extreme, we won't have to waste precious time wondering which way to go. We can just start running as fast as we can toward the people who are running toward us. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.